now tapped in with the introspective father and son duo. Last name may be strange, but never strangers to the game. Adjust the listening devices and keep it live. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ay, coming in, yeah. Flex, I just wanna win, yeah. LABB, who we running with, yeah. Two, two, three, three, I'm on 10 again, yeah. State your name. Hello, and welcome to another installment of No Strangers to the Game. In today's episode, we're going to be debriefing on this past week's events at the Capitol and the riot that took place. Um, just for a little bit of background, um, this weekend, or this week, I'm sorry, January 6th, there was a rally held by President Trump um, near the Capitol in which he talked to his supporters about, you know, what he's been talking about for the past few weeks, which is that, you know, the election results are false or, you know, are not certified and therefore shouldn't have been certified, which is what was taking place in the Capitol at the place at the time of the riot. Um, a faction of, you know, the, the rally members, you know, broke, literally broke into the Capitol and, you know, I guess in a roundabout way, raised hell. Uh, <laughs> Tried to overturn the election. Yeah, realistically. Um, so the first question I have for you is, how does this weekend's event shed light on hypocrisy in America, which I think is something that a lot of different groups and a lot of different people in America have known about for a long time, but it's never been so blatantly, you know, obvious to a larger group in America. Well, I think this past week um, demonstrates the access that, you know, white folks have to law enforcement, legislators, and obviously getting a pass in doing treacherous things, whereas black folks or people of color would have been treated differently. Um, probably wouldn't have made it to the steps. Um, they would have been a lot more security. It'd have been tighter um, knowing that, hey, there was a possibility of some uprising or protest in this area. And being that the Capitol building, and I've been in, you know, going to the courthouse, it's hard to get in the courthouse without being shaken down and having all those protocols. So you're talking about a government building where you're going into where there's cameras everywhere, there's all type of checkpoints. Um, you have serious protection to get into that building. Um, and as I understand it, and I've been kind of listening and reading the different things that they have about 2,200 Capitol Police, from what I was reading the herd that only 500 showed up that day. Yeah. So there was ultimately an inside job where people on the inside, whether it be law enforcement, whether it be legislators or whomever, gave that crowd of people access to that building with the intent to stop the certification. So um, for me, that wasn't something that just a bunch of you know, people who was mad just showed up one day and got in that building. And the more importantly, when I understand that building is, it's, it's not so easy to get around that building. There's a lot of different moving parts, tunnels, and for them to know exactly where to go and have access to, um, leads me to believe that that was something that happened internally um, with the intention on stopping that election certification. Yeah, it's funny. One of the things that I read, the jokes that was made on Twitter was everybody was asking, you know, where were the police when all of this was going down? They said, well, you don't ask where Miley Cyrus is when Hannah Montana is on stage. And I know you're a little older, so you may <laughs> not get that. 
Hannah Montana and Miley Cyrus are the same person. Right. Right. <laughs> so basically making the statement that those policemen, like you, you kind of let or alluded to is those policemen were a part of it. <laughs> and, and they, you know, they were, they're those same kind of folks. And so, you know, and law enforcement, you know, veterans and various people who, you know, understand the inner workings of that particular building and in that location and how to get things done and maneuver and get access. It's funny because throughout history, and I don't mean to sound really, I guess, blunt when I say this, but white folks have done very messed up things, but it's weird because you have never looked at them as an angry group. They just conquered just to conquer. But, you know, in recent history and recent events, I think you can look at at least white folks in America and say they're upset. They're, they're not too happy. And this weekend's events kind of, I guess, were, you know, not not all, once again, not all, but definitely a, a faction of, you know, them are upset. What, why do you think this is? I think this has been happening over several decades. Um, as manufacturing base has declined, jobs being shipped overseas, the econ economy shifting from, a manufacturing base to more service industry, the tech industry, to where those jobs are no longer really being produced here. And they have been shipped off overseas. So you had a class, a group, particularly in middle America, who had good middle class income to where they can take care of their families and themselves, didn't necessarily need to go to college and get a college degree. And now that that has changed, you know, it's, it's a little unsettling. Not only the fact that, you know, economically their, you know, situation has changed in many cases, but also you have the blackening and browning of America. And so now you're not only saying, well, economically, I'm not doing what I was doing in the past. Now I have immigrants and other people who I feel are guests in my country and not fully citizens. Yeah. They're getting the jobs. They're taking the resources that I would normally get which is not true. Um, when you talk about immigrants coming in here, unless they're in the high tech industry and other places like that, many of them do, they don't have their own businesses, or they're out in the fields. They're doing jobs that, you know, white folks have never really done on a grand scale. You know what I mean? They may have their own farms and they've done things of that nature, but the heavy lifting in agriculture over the years have been through either slavery or immigrants coming over and doing those type of jobs. But what has happened is that the media has also had a hand in shaping and creating that anger because you have the media on the right and the media on the left. And so what's happening is that if I'm listening to, if I'm on the left and I'm listening to those news channels that slant their um, news to the left, then my perspective is that anything on the right is evil and I need to destroy it. And the same thing is happening on the right. And so you're looking at information and you're getting your news in a silo to where it's very myopic and it causes you to build this mistrust and this anger of the other side. And that's one of the things that happened. And then on top of all that, right, they look up and they see that these corporations are getting bailed out. You know, you got these elite class of people who are becoming multi-billionaires and our situation is continuing to decline. And that's not only white folks, but black folks and everybody in between. So you have 
a very small percentage of people who are making multi-millions of dollars and into the billions. And then you have the rest that are continuing to see their life and economic status, you know, you know, waste away. And so I think those are the things that cause that anger. But the thing also that has caused them to act on that anger is you have an individual who is charismatic, who comes at the right time and let them know that you guys are getting a bad deal. Yeah. Your government, your legislators have not been taking care of you. I'm the one who's going to come and change that. And so on the appearance, this is a guy who appears to be over time successful and uh, a billionaire and ran many businesses and many would question how successful he has really been. But on the outside looking in, he has been successful, right? And so he comes and say, I'm for you and begin to have faith because I've lost faith in our government. I've lost faith in our system because of what has happened over the last, you know, several decades. And now I have someone here who has appeared to be business savvy, who considers to be an outsider and they're saying all the right things. So what happened on last week was not necessarily a fight to save the country, but a fight for Donald Trump so that they believe that he would be able to solve a lot of their problems. And does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, it's funny <laughs> as you as you talk about this, there's a joke that Dave Chappelle tells, we'll call it, he says black folk lesson, he uses the different words, but it's funny because he talks about how, you know, obviously black folks in this country have gone through a lot and have dealt with things constantly. And now that some of the things you discussed are happening to the other side, <laughs> they upset about it. And it's like, it's funny because we looking around like, oh, you don't like the socioeconomic inequities of our country. Welcome to how we feel. You don't like, you're taking your anger out by using drugs and, you know, the opioid crisis is affecting your communities. Welcome to how we felt. So, you know, it's, it's a, it's a obviously sad thing, but it's like, for those of us in this, and I'm only 22 years old, I haven't been around now, but <laughs> for, I guess, a community of people who have been through what our community have been through, we look at it, we can't, it's tough for us to have sympathy. No, I mean, it's tough to have sympathy because even in light of those circumstances, we're we, still being affected. We're being affected, but we're being mistreated in the process. We're not, you know, we're not saying, okay, we have empathy for your plight. This is what we're going to do to help solve that. And then in some cases you have some organizations and people who do those things, but overall it hasn't really been affected. And so when you look and you compare the crack epidemic, where those who use crack and sold crack, they went to jail. Yeah. Then you take the opioid epidemic and you have those who use it, they get rehab and they get treatment. They're sick. You know, and so I understand and I empathize with that because I know what it feels like to have family members and friends that are addicted to drugs and they're not the same person that you knew. Yeah. But on the other, on the flip side of that, I look at it and it's like, but you know, I still got folks locked up for that. You know, and on top of that now with the marijuana, now yeah. it's legal. And I had people that have been locked up and are still locked up for something now that is legal for, you know, other class of people to come and become multimillionaires and make a lot of money. So it's really one of those things where you see the hypocrisy and it's, that's the part that is most upsetting for me um, when I think about what happened, you know, last week. I'm 
not a fan of what they did and I can understand people being upset and I can understand people, you know, wanting to voice their opinion. And I disagree wholeheartedly with them, what they did. But the part that bothers me the most is the fact that they were allowed and given access to that. Yeah. And it was an inside job. And so those are the things that really stand out to me is that somebody on the inside who had control and had a sense of power was allowed, was able to allow them to get that close to really, I don't know, turning over our government, yeah. you know? And I, I don't know what would have happened had they been able to accomplish what they, you know, tried to do, but it, it don't seem like it would have been good. Yeah, and to kind of, I guess, reiterate, that wasn't just a few people being angry. That was treason. That was, those were treasonous acts and they were trying to overturn a lawful election in this country. It's, there was not there was nothing I guess minimal about what they did. It was a very big deal, and yeah, absolutely. If if they were successful, and I guess whatever they were trying to do, it it would have it would have had big implications. But I guess what that kind of means is, and we talk about the hypocrisy. Um, it's funny how like I mean the thing that I've found most interesting about what happened this past week is that it was so evident. The hypocrisy because of literally just six months ago you had black lives matter protests and the protests for social justice where we're fighting for human rights um and you know there is backlash there is you know all of these issues that arose from that national guard there's you know police and law enforcement um armed and in military military you know gear yeah. to you know stop those uh protests and you know I'm of a belief that if you're doing something that's out of line, protesting is one thing, and I don't advocate people burning buildings and looting and all that. And a lot of that was done by some people who came from the outside, as I could see on social media. But anyway, whoever was involved in that part of it should have been prosecuted to the full extent of the law. That happened. In this case, the same thing should happen. Whoever came in there and did what they did, I don't care why you was in there. You went in there and you was caught. That's like, you know, my mom would say, if you out somewhere and your friends get in trouble, you're going to be in trouble with them because yeah. you with them. You're guilty by association. So I don't want to hear the excuses. You was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And I have many people that I know was in the wrong place at the wrong time and they did a lot of time in jail. But the fact that there are even people out there that would, I guess, defend their actions and even some cases call it patriotism is it's insanity to me but does it does it allude to a greater phenomenon we have in this country of subconscious hypocrisy hypocrisy <laughs> sorry subconscious hypocrisy where people will judge you know another group or other folks for doing something and then turn around and do it for um, i mean in my opinion sometimes a lesser reason and feel like they're right because they're hypocrites. Yeah, I, I use the analogy as a home, right? In my home, I can do certain things that I won't allow guests to come and do. And I think sometimes, or I wouldn't say sometimes, I think that probably is the issue is that many of those people who did what they did on that day, I would imagine many of them look at people of color, black people in particular, as not full citizens. And so when you come in my house, there are certain rules you need to follow that I don't necessarily need to follow because it's my house. 
And so I think that may be the attitude, whether it's conscious or subconscious, is that they don't view many of us as full citizens of this country. Yeah. I mean, like I said, these are things that we've, not we've, but our community, once again, I'm only 22, but our community have understood for a long time. But I think these recent events where these outbursts of, I guess you could call it white rage, has made things so evident of like, yo, this is the stuff we've been going through for years and y'all told us to sit down and be quiet. And now you guys are causing all types of issues because you're going through some of it, not even all of it, but just a piece of it. Um, so that's that's an interesting idea to me. Um, with that being said, I wanted to get into kind of a deeper, I guess, idea of the framework of America, right? Mm -hmm. When we talk about subconscious hypocrisy, when the framework of our country was written and you know people were doing things to try mm -hmm. to set up how we were gonna run our country, people like you and I were not taken into consideration. Right. We weren't even considered human. So in that way, they you know didn't see themselves as doing anything wrong when yeah, they didn't. Yeah. Not a whole human. <laughs> so with that, with that, I guess my question is, do we need to redo the framework of this country or is it something that we can reform and try to fix to make it equitable for everybody? Because like I said, it wasn't, we weren't in mind when they were creating. Well, although we weren't in mind when it was being created, I think the constitution in itself for the most part is a solid document. Yeah. You know, when you said, you know, liberty and justice for all. Well, yeah, things had to be amended, but being that we all here, if that applies to all, then it works. The challenge is that the constitution is being applied at the benefit of those who are able to administer whatever the consequences or justice to it and able to, you know, maneuver and manipulate it to their own benefit. And so I don't, I wouldn't say that needs to be reformed. There may be some things, you know, and I haven't read the whole document that need to be that could probably be adjusted, I don't know. But based on what I know of it, it seems to be pretty solid in terms of laying out certain things. Um, I think our economics system needs to be really looked at because what you're having is this, uh, this, this increasing growth in inequity and in how you have, like I said, Elon Musk, you know, close to $200 billion. Um, Amazon, what's it, Bezos, you know, almost two, I mean, that type of money is, is, it's insane. And you have individuals who literally have nothing. Now, I'm not saying everybody needs to make the same amount of money and everybody, you know, I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about having the access to the same opportunities that a Bezos had and others who had. Now you got to work and you got to put in the effort to make things happen for yourself, but having that opportunity. So not because I live in a certain community or neighborhood that my schools will be lesser and then my, um, I, then I won't have the education and the opportunities become limited to what I can do because of the environment that I'm growing up in and that I live in. And so those are the type of things that I look at and say, we need to figure out how to reform that part of our country. Now, I don't have all the answers, but there's a lot of smart people out there who've been doing economics for many, many years who probably can help figure that out. Mm -hmm. I also think that, you know, with our condition, particularly in the black community, 
um, as a result of slavery, you need to really consider reparations because there's a lot that this country and many families of this country benefited from on the backs of black people in slavery. And that's what, and that's an interesting thing because like for me, that seems to be not that it'll solve every issue we have. Right. That can mend a lot of, you know, brokenness and hopefully repair a lot of what was, you know, the damage that was caused is in a way a redistribution of wealth. And because it feels like, at least from my perspective, as we see in the black community, there are people who get out, I guess you could say, who come up, get educated, make good money and do what they do. But I don't think you'll ever see, you know, you know, I, I guess a level playing field or, you know, a level distribution of wealth until we make it happen until we literally do it because if you have a group that's literally getting a head start the other ones will be behind and you'll have you know some that make it but i guess on average there will always be a group that's behind because the other one had a head start and especially when it comes to wealth and economics those provide this power and what that does is it allows you access and it also allows you to limit others to have that access mm -hmm. because you can control the legislation. So you send lobbyists, say I'm a big corporation and hey, I'm, I'm building cars and you about to put out this law that every car needs an airbag. Well, that's gonna cost me X amount of dollars. I don't really want that. Mm -hmm. Here you go, I need y'all to go over here and figure that out. As with other things, now you have, I have a vehicle that's come out that's gonna be me more economic, that's gonna be better on the environment, but that means I got to change my whole game up. I don't wanna do that. I need y'all to go over there and figure that out. Here's some money. Yeah. Cause we don't want that vehicle. The electric vehicle, from what I understand, could have been out earlier in probably the 1980s and 1990s, but because of the big auto uh, makers, it was like, yeah, that ain't what we do. Yeah. You know, that's gonna change how we do things. Until, you know, the other companies came out like the Teslas and some of the, uh, you know, automakers that decided, you know what, it makes sense. And this is where we have a, an increasing demand. Let's do it. But until that point, you know, it's like, no, that's not what we do. And it's gonna impact our bottom line. One thing that I think we can do, I guess even more short term than you know a long-term redistribution of wealth and reparations is a redistribution of power in those that you know create laws or in the power structure of our country uh, i think we have a very antiquated system and it's it's tough because it's like this country is run by old white men and it has been since the you know the, the beginning of this country and that's old that's not a, i think a real representation of our country anymore but how do you just, you can't just tell all these white folks that hey, y'all got to go, we gonna bring in some new, you know what I mean, new. And I know we do it through voting and stuff like that, but there's gotta be something we can do to make sure that our power structure in this country is better at representing the demographic of our country. Yeah, I mean, I think it really just comes down to organizing. And those who feel that's disenfranchised or feel like they have been left out of the conversation and you know limited in their power organizing because this still this country still runs off of money and resources you know and so there's a lot of things that have been done the civil rights movement when hey you want us to ride in the back of a bus guess what we won't ride the bus yeah. now your bus company is having economic issues so you're going to come to the table because 
although you don't want me riding your bus, you don't want, you want even less not to have your um, your buses running. Uh -huh. you, you prefer to have your buses running than, than where I sit on it. And so you have to leverage yourself when you have the power and you have the ability to say, look, you got to come to the table. If I don't eat, you don't eat. And then, you know, whoever that is, if they got some common sense, they gonna say, I'd rather share, share 50% than get 100% of nothing. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna ask you to put on your, I guess, look into the future hat now. <laughs> Will America ever reach the promise that it's, you know, I guess made at the very beginning, which is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness for everyone? That's a heck of a question. Um, with the way that it's going now, you know, it seems, you know, very slim. That <laughs> that's, the chances are slim that that happens. But also I, I wanna be optimistic and believe in humanity and people that at some point they're gonna look up and say that if we continue down this path, if it ain't already too late, then we're all gonna be in trouble, regardless of what color and how much money I got. If the community, the society, and in which we live in becomes so, you know, um, backwards and so um, difficult to live in and challenging, you know, it affects everyone. So I think, and I'm hoping that people will step back. And I see some of it happening with some of the elite multi-billionaire tech guys. Cause they're looking at what they're creating with the technology and they're saying that we're gonna be moving we're going to be pushing people out of jobs. Yeah. And how do we, you know, how do we live comfortably if nobody buys our products? Yeah. If nobody has the ability to live in, in a way that which it's even humane. So I think at the end of the day, they're looking at it. You know, have you heard of universal basic, basic, universal basic income? Yeah, you're talking about so it. So essentially where everybody gets a certain amount of money to live on um, every month regardless of what they're working or not, but there is money given to them so that they can have their basic needs met. Um, so those are things that have been talking about, that's being talked about now in this country that, you know, yeah. years ago you'd have been Because I was know, about shot. to say, you know what that sounds like, and a lot of people probably just have a bad, just a, they just come, when as soon as that an idea even close to that comes up, they're just ready to throw it out. And there are some cities in the, and I know Stockton, California did a trial with a few individuals or certain families, I think it's 500 families or so, which they would give them a certain amount of money every month just to see how that would impact their lives. Yeah. But this is, these are initiatives that are being introduced by, like I said, elite tech, multimillionaire yeah. individuals who are seeing what automation, artificial intelligence, and all those things are gonna do. Because which is, there's, there's, their survival is dependent on it as well even though exactly. they have yeah. it all, basically. You know, so what do you do if I don't need you to go do work? Well, if you don't work in this country and in most countries, you don't eat. Yeah. So how do you, how do you, you know, fill that gap? What are the things that we can do? Um, so I think there's hope, but I think there's some people at the top. And I think that this younger generation are starting to see things from a more social, um, social social equity, yeah. just uh, perspective so that they say, okay, 
how do we have all these homeless people? And how do we have all these different disparities that we can solve? Yeah. And so they're creating companies that are providing, um, you know, a look and a perspective on um, economic injustice, social injustice, so that can create an environment that um, everyone can, you know, have a, a chance at being successful, at least living, you know, to a, a human standard. Yeah. Um, last question, and this is an interesting one. As I sit here today, I think there are two views that you can have about the divisiveness in America and the division, I guess. It's that one, we've slowly made progress for the last 50, 60 years and things are coming to a head. Optimistically, we're gonna, this is kind of that breaking point and we'll push past it and we'll keep making progress and things will just keep getting better. Pessimistically, we headed towards a race war. What do you think is more realistic? Huh. <laughs> yeah, that's, I don't even wanna put that out there. <laughs> I mean, in the near future? Yeah. <laughs> right now? Yeah. I mean, I would have to go with, you know, the latter, you know, a race war, you know, if things continue to to move in the direction that it is. I would not even so much a race war, but a civil war. Because it's not just, you know, you have people who are racist and they're against black folks. They're really angry at our system. Those who are in position as elected officials, they feel like they have been betrayed by these individuals. Yeah. You know, like I said, you go back, hey, you bailed out these companies who are worth billions of dollars and you left me to lose my house you left me to lose my business and when you think about this whole pandemic you know there was amazon and walmart during this time they've made 116 billion dollars and during that same time you had businesses that were have gone under because of the way it's been handled um so there's a reason for the anger and, and in a lot of ways it's just, but how it's handled in the way that people who are angry are being led and who they're being led by is what the real uh, concern is. Because from what I can see and just looking at, you know, Donald Trump, he don't seem to have any interest in anyone but himself. Yeah. You know, even after he went and had this rally told these people to march to the to the um, Capitol building. He was going to go down there with them. He went to the White House or wherever he was and he watched it on TV. And then he turned around the following day and he denounced those people and told them that they would be prosecuted because they were intruders. I mean, that's, that's one of those things where you look up and you're like, well, damn. <laughs> and everybody that's been around him other than his family and kids, he has turned on them. Yeah. You know, and so on the outside looking in that's that's a bad mix so what do they do i mean it's almost like a cult when you talk about following donald trump yeah. but our government this system has failed a lot of us most of us the majority of us black and white and any, any other color in between because they have looked out for themselves and they looked out for big business these global corporations and as a result the greed has created a, a wealth gap and it has created an inequities that are continuing to grow. If we don't do something 
with our economic system to change that. Yeah. To end the show on a more positive, like as an individual entity, just people walking around, that's really all it is, right? Mm -hmm. We're just humans walking around on this earth. What do, what does each person do to try to fix things? Whether you're a doctor, a lawyer, or a homeless man, what does each person try to do to, I guess, make our country and this world a better place to live in? Well, I think it all starts with dealing with your own self. Whatever the traumatic experiences, issues that you have, look to address those. That way you can be a whole being that's able to look at the world in a more objective manner and you're not taking your baggage and dumping it on the rest of the world. But also you begin to love yourself and you understand yourself and you can have empathy and compassion for others. When you see someone hurting or someone in a bad situation that you will offer to help. And I would say the majority of the people in this country and the world are probably that way. And I just think that you have these people on the fringes that create this animosity, you create this distrust and the chaos for whatever reason. And so I think just people working together, organizing, looking out for one another and, you know, you know, having love, yeah. you know, and that to me is probably the most critical thing you can do is find love but first by loving yourself and those people around you in your community, your family, and helping to build them up and put them in the positions where they could be uh, successful and they can have access to the opportunities that they need to reach their full potential. And so it's gonna take, you know, people making those sacrifices, you know, within their family and themselves to be able to do that also within their community. Yeah, well, you heard it here first. It all starts with love. <laughs> um, I think that's, you know, a good way to end this episode is it all starts with love and each and every one of us has some of that to give to ourselves as well as others. So appreciate you for tuning in to this episode as well as past episodes and hope you keep listening. Peace. All right, that'll wrap up today's episode. Glad we could take a moment to put you up on game. We post a new podcast every Sunday morning. Now you know. Peace.